Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today, I sit down with Pam Herman. Pam has been working with Alpha Ministries for over 25 years in many different capacities. Currently, Pam is founder and director of Wits End Resources, and you will find the website to Wits End in your show notes. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. Those are all in the show notes as well. All times and dates for services and other events are on the website listed in the show notes. Hey, Pam. It's good to see you. Hey, Bill. Good to see you, too, even if nobody else can see us. That's right. So I haven't gone to any bluegrass festivals lately? Uh, went in June and preparing to go on the 30th of July to one of the biggest ones in the country. Where's that? <laughs> the big metropolis of Parsons, West Virginia. Parsons, West Virginia. Yeah. Wow. Picking in Parsons. All right. Picking in Parsons. Well, Pam, thanks for coming on the Alpha Ministries podcast. You've been a friend, a laborer, <laughs> an um, associate, a minister with Alpha Ministries for a pretty long time now, right? Um, yeah, actually, I could sit here and do the math, but probably close to 30 years. I remember what I remember 20 something years ago when we all went through the training to be state certified mm -hmm. support. And I remember you reading, I think it was by Shoemaker, you read The Door or something. Is that <laughs> I it? Stand by the Door by Sam yeah. Shoemaker. Yeah, see, I remember yes, that. That is actually my life message. And the foundation for my women's outreach, uh, Wits End Resources. If anybody's ever interested, it's on um, YouTube, Facebook, all those usual places. It's called I Stand by the Door by Sam Shoemaker. It's the vision of my calling. I'll put that in the show notes and I'll put the Wits End oh. website and Facebook page all in the show notes. Thank you. We appreciate that. All right, so why don't you tell the guests a little bit about who is Pam Herman and a little background and how you got involved with Alpha Ministries. Okay. I was born in Oklahoma City. Um, actually, by most people's standards, had a fairly quote-unquote normal childhood. My parents stayed married. Nobody beat me, molested me, any of the horrors that you always hear about. Mm -hmm. Um I have one overriding memory, which many people will understand, of growing up in Oklahoma, and that was that I was bored. I was bored all the time. <laughs> it was no matter what it was. Um, my response was, is that all there is? Mm -hmm. Now, I had uh, my own part in that, in that I was not good at particularly anything. Um, I had no gifts. I was lousy at sports. I couldn't play anything. I couldn't sing. I wasn't pretty. I wasn't rich enough to run with the rich kids or poor enough to run with the poor kids. So I just kind of 
hung out. The answer to all of my problems occurred when I was 14 years old and discovered boys. And boys were the answer to all of my boredom problems. And I remember my grandmother said one time that she came to visit us and her granddaughter was there and they had a nice time. And then she came back a couple of weeks later and her granddaughter had vanished. There was this crazy girl in her place. And my grandmother didn't know what happened to her uh, sweet granddaughter. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I wasn't even spectacular at being bad. I wanted to be, but I wasn't. I um, went with the same boy all the way through high school. And uh, my grandmother gave me the opportunity to go to the University of the Americas in Hawaii if I would go away and leave him. And I wouldn't do it. I married him and went to Central State University um, up the road from where I lived in Oklahoma City and uh, commuted back and forth. I always worked. I always had jobs. I was always, I mean, if, if anybody knows the Bottle family, I was Martha. I was always responsible. I was only as bad as my big responsibility work and worth issue <laughs> would allow mm -hmm. me to be. So anyway, I, I graduated from Central State. Um, it was really at Central State University that I had my first experience with what I would call the outside world. Um, nobody ever moved to Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. you, you were born there, you were raised there, and you died there. And yeah. there was no reason to come there. And there wasn't very many people that ever left there and mm -hmm. that's it was a big small town yeah and so when i went to college um i did i i i had my first experience with getting to know a black person and my first experience with getting to know someone that was born north of the mason dixon line and i i i was just like enamored I fell in love with people, all different kinds, yeah. types, styles. Um, it didn't matter. I, I, I loved the variety. I was also in my family, um, I, it, we were what I call irreligious. I hear a lot of people talk about they were either religiously steeped or their family was anti. My family wasn't either one. Religion was just ignored. It was mm -hmm. a non-issue. It was never discussed. It was never part of anything. Um, the, it certainly wouldn't qualify as religion, but um, my grandmother was a psychic. And so I was raised f as soon as I was old enough um, on Edgar Casey and Ruth Montgomery. And um, my grandmother was a psychic in her own right, but she wasn't extremely gifted. Uh, but she frequented a woman who was extremely gifted. 
if you want to call psychics gifted. We, anyway, my grandmother, we were sitting at the breakfast table having coffee one morning and she said, oh, I went to my psychic yesterday. And I'm like, oh yeah, really? What did she have to say? And she said, she told me that one of my grandchildren would serve the living God. And I said, really? Well, oh. I don't know what Diane and Mike are doing, but it ain't me. By that time, I was probably a senior. In my senior year, I had a professor that it was, I graduated from college in 74. So this was like 73. Um, I was never a serious Vietnam protester because I had to be at work. Um, but I wanted to be. I, I was always a wannabe. No matter what it was, I was a wannabe. This professor introduced us to a book that we came to carry around as our Bible. And that was Saul Alinsky's Worlds for Radicals. And uh -huh. we read it from cover to cover and it became our manifesto. And we walked around saying things like, speak truth to power. Yes. Yes. Which, you know, looking back, you have to kind of go, well, that sort of presumes you know what the truth is. Yeah. And um, as one of my favorite girlfriends says, we were rebels without a clue. <laughs> I um, never did any real serious partying because in Oklahoma, if you were under 21, most of your drinking went on in the back seats of cars. And um, by the time I got out of college, I was 21 and could legally drink. We didn't have liquor by the drink, but it was starting to loosen up. You could go to some clubs and stuff. I was bored. <laughs> And so I had met some friends. I got a job as a juvenile probation and parole officer because we, we had T-shirts that said, we save kids. I had friends for the first time really in my whole life. And I wanted to have fun. And I divorced my husband and I hit the ground running. We did all kinds of wild and crazy things. We were very young. By the time I had had three suicides on my caseload of my kids, I was pretty disillusioned with my ability to save them. And I got really depressed. Mm. Um, I quit my job there. I went to work waiting tables. I was not a good waitress. Um, and I made friends with a girl who was. And we got serious about drinking and drugging and partying. In fact, she's dead now. She died of a uh, cocaine-induced heart attack. Uh, but, um, yeah. During that time, I met Mr. Unboring. I, I tell people all the time that my MO is whatever I wanted in my life. I picked a man that was one and then just kind of went along with it. And so when I wanted to get serious about partying, I picked the 
dealer and the party guy. And uh, I was with him 10 years. The um, thing that nobody understood, knew, or even had a clue about was the disease of addiction. And I um, was with him 10 years. During that time, I was very successful in my own way. Um, as in a personnel management, I made money. I was involved in a lot of civic and cultural types of operations. And it was my first real experience with leading a double life. I would go to work in the morning in bug blouses and ultra suede suits and high heels. And then at night, I would have a completely different persona. Um, by the end of that 10 years, something was terribly wrong and I knew it. I wasn't sure what it was. I wanted to die. I knew I was dying of drugs and alcohol. I, I wouldn't have called myself an alcoholic or an addict because I didn't know what one was. But um, I was in big trouble. I was in big trouble. And I had married Mr. Unboring. The fateful day came when I found myself laying on the floor and he had a gun to my head. And he said, you had better come with me. We are in so much trouble and you will never get out of it. And I looked at him and I said, no, if I come with you, I will never get out of it. I don't know when, I don't know where, and I don't know how, but I will get out of it. And he left and took everything we had on the face of the earth and moved to Phoenix with his girlfriend. True to my model, I had made friends with the director of the chemical dependency unit for the hospital that I was personnel manager for. And so I was talking to him about the problems and this and that, particularly about my husband's problem, you understand. Yeah. And um, so anyway, long story short, that man, his name's David. David ended up with some problems of his own. And he took a job as director of a chemical dependency unit in Florida. It seemed like a real auspicious time to get out of Dodge to me because I was in. I, I tell people, I said, when the good guys like the cops and stuff are after you, you have problems. But when the bad guys are after you, you have real problems. Yeah. <laughs> and we <laughs> have bad guys after us. Yeah. When David said, would you like to move to Florida? I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so I came down here with him. I was running from everybody and everything. My mother had a fit. I I, I started over. I, I did not have any picture of myself really as an alcoholic or an addict. David said he was, and he was in recovery. So I started going to Al-Anon because... He was had a problem. Now David was he was the worked number in three. The, number three. Okay, so you guys were romantic as well. Um, you were colleagues, and then he then he, he offered to, me an opportunity to come to Florida with him, yeah. 
And in order to get away from, well, what my dealer has been said was the Colombian cartel that was trying to kill us. Um, I thought that coming to Florida with David sounded like a really good idea. Yeah. Bill, this is one of the things, and I tell the story, but it's one of the things that I talk to people about when I talk about breaking and setting yourself free from emotional bondage. One of the things that's really hard about all of this is I don't really know how much of that is true. Mm -hmm. My entire world was controlled by this man. Right. And I let him do that because of my addiction. But were we really in trouble with the cartel? I I don't know. I know we came home one night and everything we owned, there were guys in the house and everything we owned, they were shoveling over the back fence. And Bill just kept on driving and we didn't go back for several hours. He just let him have everything in the house. I think that's who that was. Yeah. (laughs) But I I really don't know. I really don't know. And one of the things that I used to say is, um, well, if I could just know the truth, if I could just know the truth, what was really happening, what really went on, the, the reality is that I will never know the truth. Yeah. Never. What I have learned about that is that Actually, peace does not come from knowledge, even of the truth. That peace comes when knowledge and the truth don't matter anymore. Because I have a new life. It it doesn't really matter to me what really happened in, in those situations. It's not part of who I am. It's not part of my world. And I learned a very, very valuable lesson because I work with people that will never, never know the truth. And if that's the only pathway to peace, we're in big trouble. Yeah. So anyway, um, I digress. I tell people little did I know that any man in recovery that was interested in me, much less that supposedly had 12 years of sobriety, was sicker than I was. He was. And when I started getting serious about changing my life, he divorced me because he really wanted to live the wild and crazy life. He just wanted to do it sober. (laughs) Yeah. But he thought I was his ticket. Um, so when I when I started getting sober and wanted to change, I was a huge disappointment. He ended up leaving me, and I was here in Florida by myself. I had no family. I had no friends. I had a job, but I didn't know what to do. And I had started going to meetings. And to AA meetings, they were more mm-hmm. fun than Al-Anon. And Al-Anon was kind of boring. And we've already talked about my problem with boring. At least yeah. that's the way I found it. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, AA was more entertaining. So I started going to AA meetings. 
my my final experience, my final drink was um, when I got fired from my really good job um, for drinking down here. Yeah, <laughs> Geographical cure didn't work. And so I made a bargain with God that if he'd let my new job and my new life here in Florida all work out, I'd stay clean and sober, not go back to my old life. And by the time my new job had fired me and my new husband had left me and my new life in Florida wasn't looking so hot, I told God, and again, please remember, I was not a Christian during this time. I um, was attending Unity Church, and I'm very grateful for Unity. Um, it gave me a place to go. It gave me people that um, in their own way and light were seeking God. But it gave me a place to start because uh -huh. I, I was not going to be found in your average church pew. So I stayed. And I got in AA and I built a new life for myself. When God welched on his end of the deal, and like I said, I lost my husband, my job, everything. My new life in Florida wasn't looking too hot. I um, was driving back from Okeechobee. It's a long story. I'll spare you since this is a short version. I was having this discussion with God and I said, okay, you watched on your end of the deal. I can go back to Bill. That was my drinking and drunken husband. I, my best of my memory was that God spoke to my heart and he said something like, don't let the door hit you in the ass. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you don't even care. And he said, just leave behind everything I've given you. And I'm like, given me, what are you talking about? I have lost my job. I have lost my husband. I, my new life here sucks. What are you talking about? And I heard nothing. And I was driving. And all of a sudden, for the first time, I realized I didn't want to go back anymore. I was like, oh, crap. What am uh -huh. I going to do now? Yeah. That was always my trump card, you know, my ace in the hole. Yeah. That, you know, it, I could always go back. To my old one. And I didn't want to. I was so disappointed. <laughs> was yeah. like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? So anyway, um, I stayed here and I got an AA and I got a sponsor. I, I tell people my motto is anything worth doing is worth overdoing. And I did the exact same thing with AA. I got completely involved and worked my steps and my whole life changed and it was wonderful. Yeah. The day, the day came when I, what I realized I wasn't growing spiritually anymore. Mm -hmm. And the picture that, that I use when I teach this is if you're in Key West and you want to go to New York, you can kind of start heading North and you're making progress but at some point, you're going to have to pick a path. And mm -hmm. that's what happened for me. I started seeking a path. And I tell people, having grown up in Oklahoma, the only path I was really not interested in was the Christian path. Somebody pointed out to me that 
we were probably a little shy on Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims in Oklahoma. Um, that really the only quote unquote religious people I had ever met were Christians. Mm -hmm. And that was true. Yeah. <laughs> I never met a Hindu, a Buddhist, or a Muslim, not even yeah. at State University. <laughs> I I I started seeking. Yeah. Uh, let, um, let me and I, I want to ask a question. So you you were not a Christian yet. Nope. And didn't come to that kind of faith, but you said that you worked the steps. So when you were doing the steps, what was your idea of a higher power? The God of my understanding. You know, it was just kind of a generic God of love. It, knowing your background, it may be kind of hard to mm -hmm. understand. But when you're not raised with any kind of concept, you don't expect a lot. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was just, you know, yeah. the, the generic God of AA and a God of love who cared about me and the, the idea that there was a God that took a personal interest in me was a radical, radical piece. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, if somebody had asked me about my spirituality, I would have told them, you know, I, I was never an atheist. I, I, I'm one of those people that says it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe in God. Um, and I had worked in healthcare. I just said, there's no way this all came out of nothing. Yeah. So, you know, but I believed, but a personal God that actually knew me, I would have said, eh. I'll, I'll go with the spirit of the universe, okay? Mm -hmm. I, I believed in a creator, but not a personal God. I mean, my parents sent me to um, Sunday school through the Catholic Church so that I could make my communion and my confirmation. I really didn't pay attention. Like I just, My parents really didn't talk about it. My grandparents didn't. So I went through the motions of all that, and then we would go on Christmas. But, you know, God was just out there somewhere in my mind. And then yeah. I was a practicing atheist because <laughs> I didn't act like God took an interest in me and everything like you said. So I just kind of lived my life like there was none. But when I started thinking about God, it was like, okay, there's just that – God is the creator and the all-knowing being in the universe. That was my concept when I started seeking. The, the big book was such a huge piece for me. And mm -hmm. the chapter to the agnostics gave me everything I needed to start. Yeah. I tell people all the time, God loves you so much. He will meet you wherever you're at. Yes. But he loves you too much to leave you there. <laughs> yeah. You you have to be willing to grow. And I picked that up in AA. And for where I started from, there was a lot of room for growth. Okay. Like I said, it was like being in Key West and wanting to go to New York City. As long as I was vaguely heading north, I was making progress. But after about three years... I wasn't making progress anymore. You know, the, the what I took out of unity and that experience, and I'm not saying it's this way for everybody, but what I took was a, the take what you like and leave the rest. And so, you know, I took the parts that weren't too hard 
And I mm. didn't pay attention to the parts that I didn't like. I wasn't growing anymore. So I started seriously seeking. Again, it's a long story, but shorter version is I came across, um, you know me, I'm sitting here next to my uh, bookcase. Oh, nobody can see us anyway. I'm sorry. I'm used to being on camera. Um, I, I got a, I wanted to hear God. I mm -hmm. wanted to hear God. I kept hearing people talk about hearing God. And mm -hmm. I'm like, how do you do that? Somehow, some way, and it had to have been in the Unity bookstore. And how that happened, I will never know. It had to have been God. But I picked up a book by Peter Lord called Hearing God. And I started reading it. And mm -hmm. in that book, it talked about his son being in treatment. And I knew enough about this stuff by then. I thought, you know, if I was like a Christian preacher or something and my kid was in trouble, I'd probably send him to Dunklin'. And I knew about Dunklin' because uh -huh. I had a girlfriend whose father was on the board there. And so I called my girlfriend and I said, would you ask your father if Peter Lord's son's ever been out to Dunklin'? And she called me back and said, yeah, actually he has. You want to come out to Dunklin'? And I decided that since Alcoholics Fanatics were out there, I wouldn't feel totally out of place. So I went out to Dunklin' with Nancy and JW and Sandy Adams. They won't mind me using their name. They're proud of it. They took me out there before church to hear this guy that was teaching out there. And so I went with them. And there was this guy that was teaching out there. I didn't understand a word he was saying, but I was listening. And I went to the church service and I liked what that guy had said. And I asked JW, I said, who is that guy? What's he talking? He said, his name's John Glenn. He said, if you want to hear him, he said, we're going to go hear him out at Faith Farm on, I don't know, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever it was. But he said, you want to come with us? And I'm like, okay. And so I went out to Faith Farm with him and I listened. And I had just gotten out of codependency treatment. And that's a whole other story I'll spare you. What I had learned and what I had taken out of codependency treatment was that I had to be self-sufficient. I couldn't rely on people. I had to get my worth from myself. So I was listening to John and he was teaching out of Matthew 5 and, and the Beatitudes. And he was saying things like, you have to go the extra mile. And if they want your coat, give them your cloak. And if they want you to, you know, and I was just getting madder and madder. <laughs> and I went up to him at break and I, and I said, you know, I just paid $2,000 to learn how to quit doing this stuff. And now you're telling me if I want to be a Christian, I got to start doing it. And he said, <laughs> it's not what you do. It's why you're doing it. Yes. And that, that started a journey for me. I went back. I listened some more. What I heard him saying was that I was a good person and that God loved me. Basically, it sounded a whole bunch like what I heard at Unity. And I went up to him again, another break, and I said, you know, I know there's supposed to be something radically different 
between what I believe and what you believe, but I can't figure out what it is. And John looked down at me and he said, well, I'm not sure what it is you believe, but if it's what I think you believe, you believe that what I'm saying is true about you because God made you a good person. And I'm saying this is what's true about you when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Now, I wasn't really sure what any of that meant. But see, I, one of my big struggles was in unity was they kept telling me that I was a good person. I was a good person. I was a, and I had a girlfriend. In fact, actually, I had my gift for teaching my whole life. And I was going with this girlfriend to Unity Village to learn how to teach the Course in Miracles. That was my plan. My girlfriend was a good person. She really was a good person. But I wasn't. <laughs> and the whole time, you know, they're talking about all this stuff. And we're doing all these positive affirmations, looking at ourselves in the mirror and telling ourselves, you know, whatever. And I've got this little voice on my shoulder saying, that might be true about Bobby, but honey, I know you. And that ain't true about you. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't true about me. <laughs> very bad yeah i hear that you're singing my song <laughs> and um when john said that i didn't know what he was talking about because i had never heard the gospel but i knew it was true i knew it was true I, again long story short i ended up going to church out in indian town i started listening to john every sunday out there um he and homer wall led me to the lord I never looked back. I, mm -hmm. I never looked back from that time. I met my husband there. You know, that, that, was, that was my new life. And everything that I'm doing now and everything that I'm involved in stems from that experience. When you talked about the fact that you went and you heard the Beatitudes and you had just gotten in other terms maybe delivered from codependency that you were saying, wait a minute, there is like, I feel like Christians fall into codependency the easiest because we're supposed to be forgiven and merciful and kind, but there's that thin line between being merciful to somebody and loving them and enabling them. And only, only God can really solve that for you. I think. I agree. And, and one of the things that I, I look at, Everything in God's economy is backwards. And what the devil has done is he takes it to the flesh instead of to the spirit. Mm -hmm. So I start doing those things to get my worth instead of doing them because I am worthy. Yeah. And I like the tension that you had in your life with, Okay, we have these affirmations and affirmations are good, but you're saying, hey, I know better. And that's why for me, I think the Alpha Series is so effective because you're learning about the new person that you are and the flesh at the same time. Yes. And when you're saying in your mind, no, I'm not, I'm not, you're identifying with your flesh. And I needed something other than, hey, you're a good person. I needed to hear God and, and why. I knew mercy, but mercy is that you're not a good person and God's just not going to wipe you out because he's merciful. <laughs> but grace is the 
change from the inside out that God has begun and will continue to do. You know, and, and I that's, needed- that's what a 12-step program did for me. It was my first introduction and contact with God's grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I know so many people that met God through AA because God got them sober and they knew it was God and then later learned that, oh, there's this deeper thing about Jesus Christ. You know, when I went when I went to missionary school, um, the missionary leader, he was very wise. He says, we're not here to even Christianize the people. We're not here to Americanize them. He said, if their concept, we went to some, you know, villages of the Ketchy Indians. And he said, if their concept is God is the big chief in the sky, we're going to, and he's creator, sustainer of the universe. We tell them the big chief in the sky, if that was their word for God, the big chief in the sky sent his son. And this is what his son did. And this is who his son is. And I think AA is when you come to, to God, as you understand God, God can teach you the of, of Jesus Christ. God's going to reveal his son in you and to you. And that's where, I mean, the next time John and I are going to talk is he's going to talk about how through the Alpha Series and using it in recovery circles, how he came to really understand the 12 steps. Because we talked about different times that idea that the church is like, oh, the 12 steps, your higher power can be the doorknob. I've heard people say that. They Mm -hmm. don't really understand it. Or, you know, and then the AA folks saying those church people, man, you know, there's that, there's that tension. But I think the Alpha Series brings them together nicely. It really does. And it, that tension that tension as you describe it is very real and in my opinion is a very good thing because it makes people fall out on one it 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 separates the sheep from the goats it either motivates you to dig deeper or not Mm -hmm. and really the main people I have seen fall by the wayside and not are the ones who've been hurt in church. It's not the heathen. Yeah. Yeah. It's the people who've been hurt in church. And I mean, and a lot of people in the program do make their way back hurt in church or not. You know, that's not the issue, but it's just interesting to me. You know, people talk about that, schism in AA and that and we think that a whole lot of that disconnect in AA came from the non-believers and the believers but really if you study the history that the and that was part of it okay the believers and Mm non-believers but Bill W's biggest problem was not the unbelievers. His biggest problem was the Catholic Church because it the program started in the Oxford group, which was a Protestant group, mm-hmm. and the Catholics did not want their people going to meetings at the Oxford group. 
And so one of the primary reasons that Bill made that kind of break, if you want to call it, is to make the program open, available, and welcoming to the Catholics. Not to the heathens, but to the Catholics. Because one of the, and and I'm not talking bad about anybody, but it's not going to come as a shock, that there was a whole bunch of Irish Catholics in New York that needed to get sober. (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) They needed to get sober really bad. But if it meant getting excommunicated from their church, that that was a big problem. And, you know, Sister Ignatius was one of the first people who worked with um, Dr. Bob to actually open a hospital ward, not that anybody called it that, but that allowed alcoholics to come in and detox because hospitals wouldn't allow us yeah come there and it was actually the mercy and the grace of the catholic church that started that so again it this you you don't want to start me on this either because this is one of my passions okay is the history of aa and uh, it it is fascinating how god made this happen Uh, one you know john says that the, the temperance movement was the law and the 12-step movement was God doing in grace what man couldn't do in the um, law. Yeah, yeah. And my, my experience was the exact, well, the opposite of yours, but it mirrors yours in many ways. I came and started going to the Alpha Series and learning the Alpha Series really coming off of codependency dysfunction and you know religion but when i learned the alpha series and got around the men and heard the men that were in recovery that maybe went through dunklin or faith farm and really people that were practicing the steps i wanted something that they had and i asked uh someone that was going to all the alpha classes and really liked the Alpha Series as well. Billy Precious, he was involved in, in AA for so long. I said, hey, I want to. I need a sponsor and I want to do these steps. And he was very good because he didn't let me weasel. And so I did the 12 steps after the Alpha Series and while my life was falling apart too. <laughs> but it, well, was all, it was all good because it was falling apart for a good reason because it had to come back together. Yeah, and as long as it wasn't falling apart, you weren't likely to do much different. Right. What is it? Um, God has to turn up the heat before we see the light. (laughs) Yeah, I like the uh, saying when the when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of pain of change, then we see change. Yes, and to put it in twelve step terms. The big book says that we seek the easier, softer way. Mm -hmm. And my response is, I don't believe anybody does this until they think that probably this is the easier, softer way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So once you, once you, how did you incorporate the Alpha Series into your teachings? And I know that 
for a while. Um, you were running the Alpha Training Center. Um, just talk about some of the things that you're doing now that you've done. You can talk about Wits End, what you're doing there, because I'm sure um, some people might even need those resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I I went back to graduate school. I got my MSW. Um, it's a long story, but God said I needed to get my clinical licensure. I did not want to get my clinical licensure. I didn't want to go back. I didn't ever want to go to college, much less graduate school. <laughs> I hate school. But anyway, um, to get a clinical licensure, you have to um, do an internship, and they're extremely expensive to pay someone and do that. Um, during that time in my life, I was taking AA meetings into Martin County Jail, and I kept hearing the women in the AA meetings talk about the, the drug and alcohol program there at Martin County Jail. Mm -hmm. And um, I was listening and listening, and I heard them talking about that the one they were just devastated because the woman who ran it was leaving, and I I wanted to do that job. I wanted that job. I I applied um, to New Horizons, and I want wanted. I told him I, that was the only job I was interested in. I wasn't interested in any other job. And um, they they hired me. And so I ran the women's drug and alcohol program at Martin County Jail for 15 years. During that time, I created my own curriculum based on the 12 steps. Even though I had the opportunity, I chose not to make it a Christian program. Mm -hmm. um, my position, and I took quite a bit of heat for it from several important people, um, was that if a Christian program had been the only way to get sober in the jail when I was out there, I would have told them I would cheerfully go to hell drunk and I would have meant it. <laughs> um, so I left my program open as pretty much a 12-step. However, the 12-step program says we're a program of attraction, not promotion. Mm -hmm. And that was the position I adopted in my class. If the girls couldn't see something about me, I mean, and I, you know, I wore my cross every day. I, you know, I made no bones about who the God of my understanding right. was. I just didn't demand that it had to be theirs. If they couldn't see something about me that made them interested in my God, then I needed to take a serious look at that. It, it was a wonderful, wonderful time during my life for God used it for a lot of people, but it also gave me an opportunity to develop a curriculum of my own. And when John wanted to start the Alpha Center for Training, basically he did the, what I call the Bible parts because I'm I'm not a preacher or a pastor or anything. Um, I never went to Bible school. 
um, which of course John will say um, is a blessing on me. But I tell people, I said, the only gospel I ever heard was the Alpha series. Now, I have worked with enough people from church and religions and stuff that I know what that other stuff is. Mm -hmm. And I had my own issues with the flesh and the world, but not in the church, at least not when it came to the gospel. And I taught the what I called secular side, I, but I used my curriculum that I developed in the jail. I taught um, the cycles of addiction. I taught codependency and boundaries. I, it was a pretty extensive curriculum. And then three years ago, I retired um, about the same time, maybe a little longer ago. We closed the Alpha Center for training in I started my own 501c3 women's outreach. I had had a vision back in Oklahoma City of a house for women. I had no clue what it was. We, I had never heard of a, of, a, of a halfway house. or We didn't have that kind of stuff back then yeah. in Oklahoma. But I had this dream and this vision. And I asked when I tell the story, I said, how many people in here believe in dreams and visions? And if I'm talking to a Christian bunch, most of them raise their hands. And I'm going, well, I didn't. And I'm still not a big dream and vision person. I believe in it, but it, I, it's not my gift. The thing that was weird was I never forgot this dream. I never forgot it. I talked about it. I came to realize that it was going to be um, a women's house. I never really was comfortable with the idea of it being a halfway house or whatever, but I didn't know any other kind of women's houses out there. So I started my own, I retired from New Horizons. I started my own 501c3 called Wits and Resources. Uh, we work with women who have life controlling issues of any form, trauma, abuse, addictions, mental illness, codependency is kind of our specialty. And um, I have the use of offices in Okeechobee, Stewart and Port St. Lucie. I work with people on a love offering basis. And if you don't have any love to offer, I'll see you anyway. And I teach classes. We just had our first planning committee meeting on Saturday. I'll be teaching my basic, what I call breaking the ties that bind curriculum, the first Saturday of every month, starting in September. I'll be teaching the Hurton Family Codependency Boundaries and Freedom from Emotional Bondage. And then the plan is to have a process retreat for people to actually do a version of the 12 steps in a weekend experience to do work with the knowledge that they have gained. We're still looking for a house. I'm believing for a house. Um, God has told me that he has put a house in my hand. That house will now as I know, thanks to um, breathing underwater, will be a house for the second healing. And um, that second healing is, as Richard Rohr states in his book, Breathing Underwater, 
The first healing is from our addictions. The second healing is from our dependency on the world. Yeah. And I will have three to four women in that house who have come to their wits end. They understand, and this was my journey, and this is a whole nother story of recognizing first in the secular world and then in the church world that there is absolutely nothing but God that can fill that empty place on the inside of me. And I will have three to four women who have made the decision that they are no longer, as the big book says, willing to be victims of the delusion that they can wrestle satisfaction and happiness out of the world if they only manage it well. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a ministry house for spiritual growth. Those women will live there. They will minister to the women who come in. We will have our classes there and um, operate in a, on a love offering basis to help women find their way to a personal relationship with God. That is a very much needed ministry. <laughs> and that's a beautiful vision. And I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the, your website up on the show notes so people can just click and they can donate, right? Directly. Oh, right there on the website. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and when you're donating, you're donating to that vision. But as Pam said before, if people can't pay her, she'll see them anyway. So then you're almost providing scholarships by donating to, to the wits end. Right? It really yeah. is. And every dime goes to help people. Every woman that is on our planning committee that will work, that helps make this happen, none of us get a dime. In fact, the reality is our money's going into it. Okay? Right. We're right. going in the hole. Okay? <laughs> yeah. There yeah. is none of it. None of us, starting with me. People say, you mean you don't take any money? I said, no, I'm on Social Security. Every dime of the donation goes to help the women. And when someone, if they're in counseling or help and they make a donation, I tell them this is to help the woman that comes up after you. Giving back. And you mentioned breathing underwater and you and I, we okay. both have a very strong attachment to that book. I love that book. And just so you know, I've reached out to, um, Richard Rohr's ministry a couple times, begging him to come on our podcast. And they won't do it. <laughs> they won't do it. And he's written so many books, but that that book definitely, I mean, I, I'm underlining almost every other line and it hits me right between the eyes. So I'm going to wow. put the link to that book as well in the show notes, Pam, but I really enjoyed um, hearing your testimony. There is parts that I've never heard before, even in all the times we've talked and have done the, the online broadcast together. So that was great. What I've noticed is that there's a lot more halfway houses for men and houses, things like that for men, not as much for women. I just don't know why that is, but it seems like that to me. Well, I know why it is, and that is because it is very hard for women to make enough money mm -hmm. when their life. Guys can work construction, and you know, there's yeah. a lot of stuff that they can do and make 
enough money. Things I, I cleaned houses and I made decent money. Uh, but, you know, depending on your criminal record and stuff, not everybody wants you in their house. Yeah. Um, so and the, really the only thing you can do is wait tables. And the only place you really make good money waiting tables is serving cocktail. And a lot of us can't do that. So it makes it really tough. The house that, that Wits End is going to have is going to be a discipleship house. And so the women that will be living there, if they're in recovery, will have been in recovery long enough to discover. Most, you know, the big book says we were victims of the delusion we could wrestle satisfaction and happiness out of this world if we only managed it well. Every person I know, starting with me, who read their big book, read that. And not one of us believed it. Yeah, What we said was... No, 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 no. I, if I will just get sober, I will be able to wrestle satisfaction and happiness out of the world. The reason I'm unsuccessful is because I'm drinking and drugging. Right. And some people call that the pink cloud because there, there, there is a time in there, you know, the, where you're playing the country western record backward, and you're getting back the house and the car and the kids and the, and it looks like it. Yeah. But I, I tell people all the time, if you've got one more thing that you're telling yourself you can have, you will be happy. You mm -hmm. have hope. Yep. But when you have everything you ever told yourself you needed to be happy and you're still not, you're still empty. That's the Solomon syndrome. Yep. Now yeah. you are hopeless. My experience personally and professionally with that is one of four things happens. You harden your heart and you become bitter. You become a church or a 12-step guru. You get a million sponsees and you just sort of stay in your own little circle and orbit there. Mm -hmm. You go back out you into whatever your favorite sin is or you pick up a new one to fill the empty place or you commit suicide or you get radically serious about a personal relationship with God. Right. That's what the house is going to be for. Yeah. Three yeah. to four women who are done and are ready to get radically serious yeah. about a personal relationship with God. Yeah. I like that. God's the only one that can do it. The yep. only one that can do. He's the only one. I remember... It made me mad at first, but I was going through a lot of stuff in my grief with Liam and my dad left the voicemail and he said uh, how much he loved me dearly. He said, but I know some of these things only God can fix. Only God can do it. I like what you said about that. You think the reason why I can't manage my own life is because I'm not sober. When I get sober, I'll be able to do it again. And that's like we forget that really running our own lives is is a symptom of the root is probably the root rather but i remember reading bob george and he said that you know he would be counseling and he'd have a woman or a man come in and talk about how miserable they are because they're single they can only meet somebody and then they would leave and then the next person that would come in would be that they're married and their marriage is making them miserable and if they could just get out of it or fix it and he says, no, you're miserable because you're miserable. 
Because you're empty. Yeah. Well, Pam, I, I know that we'll probably have you back on because pretty soon we're going to launch the whole, the CDs of John teaching on the 12 steps. And we're going to have John on and him talking about the 12 steps. And that's your wheelhouse. So we're going to have to have you come back on. That's true. It is. <laughs> there was one point you talked about your passion for it. And we're going to let you do that. We're going to have you back on and talk about your passion for the 12 steps. And really, I think you're a source of information for the history of AA that many, many things people don't know about. Many things. And I think it would definitely help. (laughs) It would definitely help brook that gap between it. So thank you again for coming on. And we're going to have all your information in the show notes, Pam. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great rest of the day. Will do. You too.